Al-Bayan Radio presents an explanation of Kitab al-Iman from Sahih Muslim presented by Sheikh Muhammad Duar. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man ihtada bihuda amma ba'd. My dearly respected brothers and sisters, we continue tonight with the sharh of Kitab al-Iman from Sahih Muslim and we have been discussing the ahadith that have been explaining Islam and Iman and we've been discussing the ahadith regarding some of the people that would come to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and ask him questions about the religion and tonight we continue with that and we have the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu ta'ala anhu he narrated and said that a man by the name of Nu'man ibn Qawqal and some said Qawfal but there's a khilaf regarding his name the more apparent wallahu alam is with thaqaf Nu'man ibn Qawqal came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said would I enter paradise if I pray the obligatory prayers and deny myself the haram and treat the halal as halal so the Prophet said yes. So this man is asking Rasulullah if I pray my prayers and I stay away from the haram and I make halal the halal, would I enter Jannah? And the Prophet said yes. Imam Muslim said a similar hadith is also narrated on Jabir radiallahu anhu's authority in which the following words were added, meaning in another narration, at the end the man said, I will do nothing more than that. Yani I will not add to it or minus from it. And in another narration of Jabir radiallahu anhu, a man once said to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, should I enter paradise if I say the obligatory prayers and I fast Ramadan and I treat the halal as halal and I deny myself that which is haram and I make no addition to it? The Prophet said yes. So then the man said, by Allah, I would add nothing to it. And that's all I'm going to do. Okay. This hadith is similar to past hadiths that we've covered. Imam Muslim is bringing a number of ahadith that are similar regarding people that are asking Rasulullah the similar question. So the narrator of this hadith is Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Jabir bin Abdullah ibn Amr and he was a mujtahid from the Sahaba. He was from the scholars of the companions and he was a hafiz and the Mufti of Medina in his time after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
He passed away the year 78 Hijri and he was 94 years old when he passed away. So in this hadith, or these hadiths which are the same story, the man said, if I make haram the haram and I make halal the halal, he's asking Rasulullah Ibn Salah rahimahullah, one of the great scholars, he said, as for making haram the haram, this consists of two things. To make the haram haram means two things. Number one, to believe that the haram is haram. And number two is to stay away from it. To believe that the haram is haram and to stay away from it. My brothers and sisters, there's a brown Hyundai. Number plate is C-U-V-A-E-H blocking someone downstairs. Please move your car, a brown Hyundai. So when the man asked the Prophet ﷺ, if I make haram the haram, what does making haram the haram mean? It means two things. Number one, you believe it's haram. And number two, you stay away from it. As for making halal the halal, as Ibn Salah said, all that means is to believe that it is halal. To believe the halal is halal, whereas you don't necessarily have to do it. Because not everything that is halal, you have to do it. For example, it's halal to eat mangoes. But it doesn't mean I have to. But the haram, you have to avoid it. So making the haram haram means to believe it's haram and to stay away from it. Making halal the halal is to believe that this is halal, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it. That's the difference between making haram the haram and making the halal halal. Is that understood? طيب. This hadith, we have a number of benefits that we take from it. For example, this question that the man asked Rasulullah the ulama say it was one of the greatest questions that were ever asked the Prophet And it consists of doing actions and believing in the obligations and abstaining from the prohibitions and believing that they are prohibited. Because it's not enough to avoid the haram if you don't believe it's haram. And it's not enough to believe something is haram if you're not going to avoid it. Both work hand in hand. The belief that it's haram and the action of avoiding it. Okay? So this question, it covered a huge aspect of the deen by the man asking it. So the ulama said from the questions Rasulullah was asked, this was one of the great questions that the Prophet was asked. It shows the man that asked him, Nu'man, radiallahu anhu, was very switched on. We also benefit from this hadith that whoever does the wajib and avoids the haram is from the people of Jannah. We've mentioned this regarding the other hadith also. Whoever does the wajib and avoids the haram is from the people of Jannah and this is by consensus, ijma' of the ulama. As for the one who has shortcomings, 
while they still fulfill tawheed and they avoid shirk, then they are under Allah's mashia in the next life. If someone commits sin or has shortcomings, but his tawheed is correct and he stays away from shirk in all its forms, then in the next life he's under Allah's will. If Allah wants to forgive him without punishment, Allah will forgive him without punishment. And if Allah wants to punish him, he will punish him. But we are certain he will enter Jannah because he had Tawheed. Okay, because every Muwahid enters paradise. Everyone that stayed away from shirk enters paradise. Either right away or after a period of punishment if that's what Allah chose. Number three, we also benefit the importance of salah. Because in this hadith, he specified the salah by word, even though it's part of the general obligations. So whenever something is specified, when it's already part of a group, pay attention to this point. If something is specified when it's already part of a group that's mentioned, that's to show the importance of that thing. For example, Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran, He says, حَافِظُوا عَلَى الصَّلَاةِ الْوُسْطَى He says, protect your prayers, and in particular the middle prayer, meaning the Asr. The Asr is part of the prayers in general, but Allah specifying it shows its importance of you, Looking after it. Okay? Or like when Allah mentions the malaika. Allah sometimes mentions all the angels and then in the same verse, He says, Jibril wa Mikail. And that's to show the greatness of those two. So whenever something is specified, when it's already part of the group, that shows its importance. And here, He's saying make halal the halal and make haram the haram, but he also mentioned the salah. Even though it's part of that. But that's to show you the importance of the prayer. To show you the importance of the salah. The man said, I will not increase. Meaning, I won't do past this. Making the halal halal, making the haram haram. And doing my prayers and my salat, my obligations. I'm not going to increase upon that. And what that means is, what we understand from this is he won't do the sunnah actions. And there is ijma, consensus among the scholars, that the one who does not perform the sunnah or the sunan does not get punished. You don't get punished for not doing the sunnah actions unless you intentionally want to not do it. Like someone that says, I refuse and I don't want to do the sunnah. That person gets punished for that intention, without a doubt. But someone that knows or feels I should do the sunnah, but he's just lazy or whatever, he doesn't do it, he doesn't get punished. Because a sunnah is a sunnah, it's not fard. Okay? And that's consensus by the scholars. But the scholars, they frown upon anyone who abandons the sunnah, especially the major sunnah, the big sunnah. And as we mentioned previously, some of the a'imma of the salaf would not accept their testimony, their shahada as witnesses. So we should never 
have this mentality of abandoning the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the last benefit we take from this hadith is that the man made an oath. He said, by Allah, I will not increase on the obligation. And the Prophet ﷺ affirmed it. Because the man asked about entering Jannah. He didn't ask, would I be from the best of people if I do my obligation? If his question was, would I be from the best of people? The answer is no. You can't be from the best of people by limiting yourself to the wajib only. But his question was specific and Rasulullah's answer was according. His question was, would I enter paradise? And we know paradise has levels. And some are greater than others. So is the wajib enough to enter Jannah? And Nabi Wasallam said, yes. It is. Okay. We move on to the next chapter. Which also has a number of ahadith in it, and that is clarifying the pillars of Islam and its grand supports. The hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu ta'ala, anhuma, he narrated that the Prophet وسلم, said, Islam is built on five pillars the tawheed of Allah or the oneness of Allah, the establishment of the salah, paying zakat. Fasting Ramadan and Hajj. A person said to Abdullah ibn Umar, which of the two came first, Hajj or fasting Ramadan? So Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu said, no, it is not Hajj first, but fasting Ramadan came first. Okay? Then we have the next narration also of Abdullah ibn Umar that the Prophet said Islam is built on five pillars. Number one, that Allah alone should be worshipped and all other gods besides Allah should be denied. Establishment of the prayer, the payment of zakat, hajj to the house and fasting Ramadan. Then he mentions the next narration, again, of Abdullah ibn Umar. The Prophet ﷺ said, The structure of Islam is raised on five pillars. The shahada of La ilaha illallah and Muhammad Rasulullah. And performing the prayer, paying zakat, hajj to the house and fasting Ramadan. And then in the next narration, a man said to Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, Why do you not go out for jihad? A man asked Abdullah ibn Umar, Why do you not go to battle? Then ibn Umar radiallahu anhu answered and said, I heard Rasulullah say, Verily Islam is built on five pillars. The shahada of La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, the establishment of the prayer, paying zakat, fasting Ramadan, and hajj to the house. So these are four or five narrations all regarding the same hadith. Slight differences between the narrations. In the last one, it was a man that asked Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu, why do you not go out to battle? And then Ibn Umar answered him by saying, Islam is built on five pillars, and he mentioned the five pillars. So these hadiths are regarding the five pillars of Islam. And they are called pillars because the religion is held up by them. 
Five pillars because the deen is held by them. Without the pillars, the structure falls. That's what a pillar is. A pillar is a foundation. It holds up the structure. So without these five things, there is no Islam. They are the pillar or the pillars of Islam. In the first narration, he mentioned that the first pillar, and yuwahidullah, that they make tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal, meaning they worship him alone and they disbelieve in everything else. They disbelieve in every taghut, which is worshipped besides Allah Azza wa Jal. And that's also the meaning of the shahada of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. It means to disbelieve in everything that is worshipped besides Allah and then to affirm worship and lordship for the one true Lord, Allah Azza wa Jal. Some of the lessons that we take from the hadith of Ibn Umar regarding the five pillars of Islam. First and foremost is the definition of Islam. What is Islam? The definition of Islam is not peace, as many people claim. That's an incorrect uh, definition of Islam. Islam is istislam, which means submission. To submit to Allah Azza wa Jal. For the scholars, when they define the word Islam, they say Islam is al-istislamu lillah, to submit to Allah Azza wa Jal. Wal-inqiyadu lahu bit-ta'a, and to yield, to turn to him in obedience. Yeah? Wal-bara'atu mina shirk wa ahli. And to disassociate, free yourself from shirk and from its people. Natwala and bara'a. So this is the definition of Islam. To surrender, to submit to Allah Azza wa Jal, to yield to Him in obedience, and to disassociate yourself from shirk and its people. That's what it means to be a Muslim. Because that is the definition of Islam. And whoever submits, and this, the Shaykh says, is the Islam which Allah chose and accepted for the people. That is the religion Allah chose for the people, Islam, in this way. As Allah Azza wa Jal says, Islam. Verily, the only religion accepted to Allah is Islam. And that's its definition. Okay? So Islam is to submit to Allah, but not only submit with your appearance, you submit internally and externally. That's the true submission. To Allah, because whoever submits to Allah with his appearance, with his appearance, but does not submit from his heart, he is a munafiq. That's the hypocrite. The hypocrite makes his Islam apparent, but he conceals his kufr and his disbelief. And Allah Azza wa Jal said about them, "Inna al-munafiqina fi darki al-asfari min al-nar." Verily, the hypocrites are in the lowest part of hellfire. The hypocrites are in the lowest part of hellfire. And Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah mentioned that the five pillars are mentioned here to be Islam. They are defined as Islam, the five pillars, because they are the absolute worships which are obligatory upon every capable person to do them for Allah. They are the main worships that you must perform, the five pillars. As for everything else, 
It might be a fard kifaya, a communal obligation. And what a fard kifaya means is if some of the ummah does it, the obligation is dropped from everyone else. That's a fard kifaya, like salatul janazah. Praying on the dead, Muslim, it's a fard kifaya, meaning it's a fard on the community. If some of the community does it, then the sin is lifted off everyone else. If no one does it, then everyone gets sinned for it. That's a fard kifaya. Whereas a fard ayn is something that's fard on every individual. Like your salah. No one can pray on your behalf. You have to pray. Okay? So there's a fard ayn and there's fard kifaya. Fard on the individual and fard on the community. And these five pillars, they are fard ayn. Every action is obligatory on you as a person, as an individual. We also benefit from this hadith, these hadiths is that they do not mean that whoever performs the five on the apparent without performing them internally is a Muslim. Rather, they must be performed externally and internally. Very important point because once again, if it's only a condition to do them on the apparent, then the munafiq is a Muslim. We consider the munafiq a Muslim, but no. Five pillars, you do them, you perform them internally and externally. And that's what Shaykh al-Islam ibn Daymiyyah rahimahullah mentioned. Inshallah in our next uh, lesson, we will continue uh, with uh, this hadith in particular. Uh, if Allah Azza wa Jal gives us life. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.